0: Today's program is brought to you by Domain. Domain offers discreet and secure storage, transportation, trading, and advisory services to passionate fine wine collectors worldwide. For more information, visit domainstorage.com.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: You're listening to In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. This is the show that brings you the most interesting personalities and tar- and talented artisans of the beverage world. Today, I'm really excited. I have someone that I really look up to um, who makes just some of the most beautiful wines in America. We have Kathy Corson on the show today. Kathy has been working in the wine industry in the Napa Valley since 1975. And in 1987, she became the first woman to be the both owner and winemaker of her own Napa Valley winery. Um, she's won a ton of awards and accolades uh in 2011 she's named san francisco chronicle winemaker of the year um she makes just some of the most beautiful uh cabernet sauvignon that exists i think she's the top winemaker uh in the in the napa valley for cabernet sauvignon and also makes uh demeanor and a rosé i visited her with Alyssa mm-hmm. over the summer i'm just so overly excited to have you in the studio kathy welcome to in the drink thank you it's my pleasure um, this style of wine that you made, and this is the story that I, that, I, uh, so many people tell these days, uh, is that you were, uh, stubborn and made the style that you wanted to make even throughout the years when it was unfashionable. And now everyone's kind of coming around, uh, to back to, to what you decided to do from the beginning. Um, can you talk about that style and, and how hard was it to to uh, to stick to that when you were, you weren't getting high scores from the critics and you had a a small but like very loyal following to your wines and now uh, I think that universally you, you people love your wines. Basically,
3: I make wines that I like and I want to drink, and so for me it was to. My life uh, goal has been to make Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley that's both powerful and elegant. And luckily for me, I made wine for myself. So yes, I was stubborn. I was persistent. Um, yes, it was difficult. Fashion comes and fashion goes. But um, what goes around comes around.
2: Did you know that from the beginning? Did you did you say you know what this is? This is a trend. The high alcohol and oak and fruity wines. This is a trend and it's going to go back to, you know, the way, um, or did you not care or did you, did you think you'd see it at at any time it it coming back around?
3: Oh, I cared. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, I cared on many levels. Uh,
3: the success of my business was important. If I don't sell my wine this year, I can't make it next year. And basically I just want to make wine Mm -hmm. and, but I also care because I love the wines of the world, and I believe strongly that Napa Valley is one of the best places in the world to grow Cabernet. And I always believe very strongly, and historically, there were a lot of um, there was a lot of evidence that Napa very much can make um, elegant wines that are long lived and um, grace the table. So, I I n- always knew that that. I could continue to do that, but I also knew I needed to sell it to keep Mm -hmm. doing it.
2: (laughs) Were there compromises that you had to make in order to sell it?
3: I think, I think (laughs) being stubborn, I, I wasn't willing to compromise.
2: And so, um, I just kept hoping
3: for the best.
2: Yeah. And so I think a lot of, uh, wine lovers, um, kind of put on a pedestal what was going on in Napa Valley in the in the 70s and you're seeing a, a kind of a renewed interest in these in these old wines um, what was it was there some magic that was going on there are we putting them on a pedestal unrightfully so um, one of the things that is so nice you can see some wines that are made in the 70s that uh, it, that feel brighter and younger than the same wines that you know they made 15 20 years later
3: The magic is Napa Valley. Mm -hmm. Cabernet Sauvignon takes a lot of heat to get ripe, and there aren't very many places in the world that can reliably ripen Cabernet Sauvignon and also have the cold nights that allow us to maintain natural acidity, make more color, more complexity. So um, there are plenty of hot places in the world, but there are very few places that are hot enough to ripen cabernet sauvignon but then also have cold nights Mm -hmm. we the the marine layer rushes through the golden gate every night during the summer and so there's this amazing diurnal shift so um i i don't think there's any secret to it i think uh for me it's all about balance i pick earlier than many and um The other thing that's important to know about Napa is we've learned so much about growing grapes since the 70s. -hmm. When I first got to Napa Valley, uh, managing a vineyard comprised of pruning it and picking it. And the crops were quite a bit larger in those days. In the meantime, we've learned so much about canopy management. And so I believe we're making better wines than were made in those days, but we still have the advantage of being able to make wines that are structured to be elegant and grace the table and have a long, interesting life. So um, stylistically, I'm trying to do what they were doing, but I think I have the advantage of a couple of things. One, better better grape growing and also much gentler equipment in the winery. Mm -hmm. So we're able to...
2: Take it a step further, really, than those days. Yeah, and you mentioned the heat that is important in uh, in order to ripen Cabernet. Um, have you seen the effects of global warming when it comes to heat, or is it more just about uh, the changes in in weather patterns? Where I know you had multiple years of drought, and then this year uh, a ton of uh, a ton of moisture. Well, it's. I think it's global warming may be true if you
3: take step back and see the whole earth but there are places that are getting colder and places that are getting hotter it's definitely Mm -hmm. changing we've had some of the coldest seasons on record in the last decade and it makes some sense to me that if it's warming in the center Mm -hmm. um, especially center of california it's pulling more of that marine influence in and actually cooling down we've you know probably half of the the vintages in the last 10 years have been very cool. Mm-hmm. So I know there's change, but how it's affecting our little corner of the world is, is the facts are still coming in.
2: Yes. And, and how about with, when it comes to moisture? Um, I know you had a few dry seasons. Uh, uh do you think that, that, uh, grapevines, have a memory beyond the year? Do they adjust and adapt to dry if there are multiple drought seasons in a row? Do they adjust to that?
3: In a sense um, old vines have developed the root system in a way that allows them to sail through heat spikes Mm -hmm. with um, majestically Um, so in a way yes it's not really a memory but it's just the older the vine um, Kronos Vineyard is 46 years old my single vineyard estate wine and it's really interesting to watch it go through heat spikes during August and September. Um, it's, it, it almost doesn't phase it, but it's mm-hmm. old St. George and those roots are way down.
2: Yes, I love the story of Kronos too, where you, when, you, when you bought it you thought that uh, perhaps the, the root stock wasn't, wasn't a good one, you'd have to replant it right away, but it turned out to be uh, something that was really beneficial.
3: Yeah, very, very lucky, serendipitous. Um, it's St. George. It's the rootstock that saved the whole world from phloxer back in the end of the 19th century. So um, it had just fallen through the cracks when everybody replanted to AXR1.
2: Mm-hmm. So it was just dumb luck. Yeah, and so you make the two wines, of Kronos and then the Chorus uh, and Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, how do they differ stylistically um, from the one that you make with the three vineyards versus just the Kronos?
3: Well, all the vineyards that go into, the three vineyards that go into the Napa are all within a, a stone's throw of Kronos. Mm-hmm. So they're on basically the same soils um, in the same climate. Um, and they're great vineyards, but they're, they were replanted in the 1990s because of Phylloxera. So they're younger vines. The real magic in
2: Kronos Vineyard is the old vines hmm It's and it's a, just a beautiful vineyard right up behind your house. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, this idea of a a woman winemaker. It uh, is something that uh, had a little bit of controversy recently. Uh, I saw a few people say there should shouldn't you shouldn't have to say female winemaker. That's like saying female judge or female doctor. You have to put that extra level mm-hmm. of. Uh, 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 specification on it Um, but as someone who was the first woman to own a winery and be the winemaker and I I read once that you had a UC Davis professor who said to you don't bother like like trying to work in Napa Valley you'll never get a job because you're a woman like how do you how do you feel about uh, the idea of of being a a woman and, and a winemaker I've always
3: been grateful that the term winemaker didn't connote gender. Mm-hmm. But that said, I don't know over time. I mean, I know great winemakers that are men and great winemakers that are women. Um, probably the most, I think the most important trait of a winemaker is attention to detail. And um, if there's a difference in between men and women in that regard, perhaps. But I'm not convinced of that.
2: You're not convinced of it, yeah. yeah. But were things more challenged, Was that a, a common sentiment when you first got started? That don't you know? Don't man, this is a man's job?
3: Well, there simply weren't women that, with two exceptions, when I got to Napa, um, Zelma Long was making the wine at at, at uh, Robert Mondavi without the title, um, hmm. but she was running the winery and making the wine. And then uh, Donine Sample Dyer was at Inglenook. And soon to go to Domaine Chandon as the opening assistant winemaker. And then soon thereafter became the winemaker. So um, there, those women had come through the labs, and that was considered more appropriate for women. Um, from my my um, stubbornness started with insisting that I actually haul hoses around and learn to run a cellar. So my first job was in 1978. My first production job was uh, as an intern at Fremark Abbey where um, I was the lowest on the totem pole and just a cellar rat, but it was invaluable to, to learn that. Um, I don't believe there had ever been a woman in a cellar in Napa before that oh, wow. hauling hoses around That same that same um, harvest there was another woman at Inglenook in the cellar but I think 1978 was the, f- the first. So things have changed a lot.
2: Yes. Um, and now is it uh, how how is it now? Is it? Uh oh, there have been huge changes. There are women at every level
3: in the wine business, and interestingly enough, and in winemaking, interestingly enough, there are even women doing vineyard management now, and that took even longer to to come around. There's still only ten to twelve percent of full control winemakers in California are women. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we're not
2: there yet, but I'm sure having other female winemakers, uh, is something that, that helps to expedite and make things easier. It's like, you know what? Like, I hope so. I think, I think so. I think so. I mean, on that note, we're going to take just a quick break and we'll be back with more with Kathy Corison on in a drink.
0: Domain offers discreet and secure storage, transportation, trading, and advisory services to passionate fine wine collectors worldwide. Since 2003, they've focused on making collecting easier and more enjoyable. With over 1.8 million bottles in storage across five facilities, Domain is the largest network of wine storage warehouses in the country. Warehouses are located in Chicago, St. Louis, Metro New York, Napa, and Washington DC, with refrigerated shipment hubs in dozens of cities. Their service also extends to the home collector. In the last decade, the team has organized and inventoried more than 1.7 million bottles in home sellers across the globe. Additionally, Domain offers auction services to clients with small and large parcels alike, negotiates on their behalf for the best possible price, and manages the entire liquidation process. Go to DomainStorage.com to complete an online questionnaire, and someone will get back to you within one business day. I know
1: it will get yeah.
2: All right, and we're back with Kathy Corson, the uh, outstanding Napa Valley winemaker. Um, really, the, when I put together the list for Le Pichot, the first and maybe, uh, I'm trying to think, maybe the only uh, Napa Valley Cabernet I had on that list was was Kathy Corson's because they truly are my favorite. They're so elegant um, and that 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 power with elegance that Kathy was talking about really does exist in those wines. Um, and we, before the break, we spoke a little bit about wines that are age worthy, um, wines that uh, can can stand the test of time. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about. Uh, Buying wines from you is that it's you, you're able to purchase uh, wines that are library wines that you've held back usually for about a decade or so. Uh, when did you start that program? From
3: the very beginning, mm. um, I I always I knew historically that these vineyards on the benchland between Rutherford and St. Helena had long made beautiful, long lived wines, uh, especially at, at BV, the George Latour uh, Reserve. So. It was always part of my um, vision to make a wine that was built to develop in the bottle. Mm-hmm. And that's a combination of, of um, moderate alcohol, snappy, natural acidity, and then lots of, lots of stuff there to develop. And, and um, basically the wines become more aromatic and more complex and elegant as they age. So that was the goal from the very beginning, and so I've always held back good libraries, specifically to be able to re-release them to my club
2: and also to top restaurants. Yeah, it was always something that was really—and when you can buy a wine that was held at the winery, it's always in— better condition and more lively and bright and energetic. Um, and so if you start with wines that are, are are like that to begin with, that are high quality energetic wines, like Kathy's like wines are, um, and then you keep them at the winery for a long time, it's just an incredible drinking experience. And And our listeners can buy them on, through your website currently, or do they have to be part of a, of your club?
3: No, no, we, we, we sell, sell wine the on answer.
2: the, it's just dot com. Yeah, it's for sure worth going to, and we're going to put that up so you guys can uh, uh, so you guys can can look out for that as well. Um, you know, Kathy, you had uh, experience making an unpopular style of uh, Cabernet. Um, uh, I, I I venture to say, I'm scared to say in front of you that maybe the Gewürztraminer grape is not the most popular grape right now. Do you? <laughs> at, well, at least among sommeliers. Uh, yeah,
3: I make I make Gewürztraminer because I love the wines of Alsace. Mm-hmm. I love them for the fact that they are a combination of Germanic aromatic white varieties and French winemaking sensibilities. Alsace has been traded back and forth forever. Their culture is a hybrid. Their, their food is a hybrid. Uh, their winemaking is a hybrid. So the result of that is wines that are wonderful at the table. They're totally dry, at least historically, and um, good acidity but broad and rich. They're just very – so I, I, I just couldn't make another Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc. I, and I only make 150 cases of that right. diverse meter. That's basically home winemaking. And that that sells out pretty quickly with your devoted... Yeah, it doesn't
2: really leave the winery much. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I wonder what it's like uh, if you think that Gewürztraminer will will also be something that will one day be uh, more widely appreciated than it is. Oh, I don't know. know,
3: What I'm seeing happen all over the world and in California specifically is increased diversity. Mm -hmm. More varieties, um, more styles... And I, I welcome that because I think um, there's a big world out there as as to wine. And so I think, if anything, we won't have to have the newest, hottest thing. We'll just have this wonderful diversity. So we have different moods, different foods, different
2: preferences. There'll just be more choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something I want to speak with you about is uh, dry farming as well. Oh. I know something that... Um, you practice with, uh, with growing your grapes. Is that possible? Um, is it something you feel like is, is possible throughout the Napa Valley? I know you think it's important. Um, uh, or is it really only possible in drought years with very old vines? Well, I do think it's possible
3: anywhere in Napa. But uh, the way we grow grapes generally doesn't really um, lend itself to that. Um, Mm -hmm. To St. George specifically is a rootstock with very deep rooting. And in the old days, they would plant the St. George vine Mm -hmm. and then grow it for a whole year and let it establish a, a good root system. Then they would bud the vinifera on top, the European wine grape variety on top. It's become very common now. Uh, and probably the norm to plant bench grafts. So they're grafted in the nursery and then they're planted together and it's harder to establish the roots that you need. So I'm doing a little bit of replanting and it's going Mm -hmm. to be on St. George and I'm going to be um, field budding, meaning I'll grow the rootstock for a year before I bud. And my expectation is that that's going to allow the vineyard to be to thrive for longer mm-hmm. um, decades. Kronos is forty six years old. Kronos Vineyard. Um, so that that's my hope. I think it's entirely possible, and I believe I will be able to dry farm those. When you think about it, I don't think there was much drip irrigation until. The seventies, sixties, and seventies. So, people have grown grapes without irrigation for a long, long time. time. But um, we may need to accept lower crops. But we're doing that anyway to make fine Cabernet. Mm -hmm. So um, it's going to be interesting to do. And and my old St. George vineyard,
2: I can almost almost dry farm it now. It's amazing, and I remember on the uh, the day that Alyssa and I went to visit, it was so hot. It had to be a hundred degrees that day. But that Kronos Vineyard, seeing the bright green leaves facing straight up into the sky, and uh, it just seemed very happy and comfortable, as as you said before. Um, and what what do you? I, I'm also excited by this diversity um, with people planting different grapes. You're very close to Steve Mathiason, who's mm-hmm. really uh, a big proponent, especially in the Napa Valley, of planting different grapes, uh, uh, of doing moderate alcohol levels as, as, uh, as, as you do. Um, what, else, what else is the, the future of uh, Napa Valley? What else do you see going on that you're excited about?
3: I th- I think we're continuing to be better farmers. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the biggest potential lies. Because first
2: and foremost, you're farmers.
3: Exactly. Right. And I know I'm still on a very steep learning curve there all these years later.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like if you were to give Thomas Keller an industrially produced carrot, he he could probably make it taste okay, but it's, it's not going to be... It's not going to be really delicious He knows better than
3: to try Yes <laughs> uh, and We can't make the wine We can't make wine any better than the grapes that come in the door It's as simple as that Yeah
2: and uh, on that note, we're going we're gonna to wrap up. That's all the time we have. Uh, uh, please go to Kathy, go to Coruscant.com and uh, check out the wines. There's uh, only a small amount made, so you're lessening the pool for the rest of us, but it's, it is it is well worth it, uh, and certainly, uh, I think, a value compared to the other premium, uh, Napa Valley Cabernets and, and the other great wines of the world. Um, Kathy, it's been such a pleasure having you on In The Drink. Uh, uh, coming up after this, you have have uh speaking broadly with Dana Cowan. She likes to do the Hall of Dames and I would it, she has never asked me to uh to uh, submit someone's the Hall of Dames, but if I if I were to, I would uh submit uh, Kathy Corson would be would be the person that uh would be my uh submission. So, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to David Tatishor and everyone from uh Heritage Radio for uh for producing this show. Uh, this has been in the drink on heritageradionetwork.org network.org.